Welcome, welcome my friends to the Beggars and Brawlers podcast. This is episode number three, recorded December the 11th of 2020 on a snowy day in Denver, Colorado. I got the fire roaring next to me. And this week I got some news for you. I am getting published. Wait, I think I can hear some of you saying, aren't you already published? Like the books that I bought, Beggar's Rebellion, Resident Saga, all that. Uh, yeah, I'm totally published. The difference is that I've always been indie published and it's funny that there's still a stigma attached to that because indie publishing used to mean that your books weren't good enough, that the real publishers wouldn't take you so you had to do it yourself. And that's definitely changed in the last 10 years and I hope some of the stigma around it has changed. I don't feel embarrassed to say I'm an indie author anymore. Honestly, I think there's a lot more authors who are making a living at it these days who are indie than are traditional. And I've enjoyed doing it. There's some really good things about being an independent author. One of them is that if you're a control freak about your art, and most artists are, let's admit it, uh, you have full control. No one can tell you that this story is not right or that this cover looks bad. <laughs> the problem is that sometimes people should tell you that <laughs> and you don't listen because you're also the artist. So uh, for better or worse, indies have full control on the actual art of it, especially the writing and also the cover art. Um, and we have control on pricing so we can price cheaper if we want people to get our books. We can price expensive if we're feeling proud. We can do whatever we want. Um, when you're traditionally published, they set the price and you just kind of say, I guess that's what my book is worth. And you also get a much bigger cut as an indie. I mean, tens, levels. Okay, I'll just tell you the truth. <laughs> I think a lot of traditional authors are getting between 6 and 10% of the sale price of their book. Indies are getting on the low end, 35 and often 70%. So we're getting a lot more. And I think that's why a lot more of us can make a living is because we only have to sell a seventh as many books to make the same money. And the other thing for people like me who love to do everything yourself and learn it all, in indie, you do everything yourself. And that is also the downfall of indies. <laughs> Partially because, like I said, no one can tell you that actually this needs more work. And there are a lot of indie books out there that needed another revision or just needed to be put aside as the first book. But there are other things that are difficult too. People who make their own cover art, I've never done that because I know it would be atrocious. <laughs> um, and by the way, I'll have more news on our cover like we were talking about last week. We do have a winner, so I'll talk about that at the end. For me, the hard thing about doing it yourself with indie publishing has always been the marketing side. I love writing, I love telling stories, I love organizing the art and doing everything around it. But when it comes to actually promoting my book, I'm not ashamed to say that it's a good book, but I am not great at using ad platforms and targeting people, and that's not my skill set. Um, and I think it's really held me back. So that's one thing that's amazing about traditional publishing is that you have professionals to do that for you. And they're going to put your book out there and they know exactly how to tweak the algorithms and all that. And uh, as a traditional author, you can focus on the writing. They, since they're doing everything else, you can just write the next book. It's actually amazing to me that traditional authors don't write faster because you'll find that indie authors are writing a lot more books even though they're doing everything else too and maybe some of the balance in that is quality uh that's you know really up to the reader and what they think the other great thing about traditional publishing is that they can get all kinds of places that indies really struggle to get like barnes and noble or a little thing called the new york times bestseller list we can get on the usa today but unless you're traditional you're not getting on the nyt and that is kind of the sign that you've really arrived for authors. <laughs> but we need to back up. I'm not saying that I'm getting traditionally published. Well, 
I am getting traditionally published, but I'm not saying that I'm stopping being an indie author. And I guess what I mean is there's a third path between these two. And I decided it's the best one for me. It's called being a hybrid author. Uh, and this means that you still put some books out indie, but some of your books are put out traditionally. Why would you do that? The reasons that I decided to do it is partially because I want that professional team of marketers behind me. And I chose a publishing house that has a good record of marketing because that's what I need um, is that reach and that skill set that I'm struggling to have. But at the same time, the books that I want to do myself, I have full control over. And what I'm doing right now is having this publisher, Athon Books, re-release the four books that I already have out, The Resonant Saga. Um, they think they can do better with it. I'm sure that they can in terms of marketing. Uh, and they're going to get another round of edits. So um, the stories are going to improve too. And I think the covers will stay mostly the same because those paintings by uh, Mateusz Miskalski are beautiful. So I decided that those books, I've done my best with them and now I need somebody else to promote them <laughs> as I try to learn still how to be a better promoter. And I'm, I guess I'm going to basically go to school for that in the spring. But that's another story. Uh, in the meantime, I guess what I should say when I started this by saying that I'm getting published is that I'm getting hybrid published, which means that yes, someone believes in me enough to publish my books, but it also means that I'm still going to be doing it myself because I want to have control over the release schedule. This next series that I'm writing, I want to get them all out this spring. Um, I don't want you to have to wait forever between them, which can happen to traditional authors. And of course, I want that cut of the money. Basically, as an author, I'm writing because I love to write. And that goal has always been accomplished since the first very bad stories that I wrote because <laughs> I love doing it and I would keep doing it if I was making no money at it. But the second goal is to find readers, hopefully readers who like my work, to find my audience out there. And that's where I feel like I haven't done the best in terms of marketing. And I think someone else can help me out a lot with that to find people who really like the books. And then hopefully they'll go on to read my other stuff, whether it's traditional or indie. And then the third goal and the most elusive has been to make a living at it. As you all know, I'm a humble fruit seller by day, <laughs> so I can be an author by night. And the dream is to someday stop slinging that fruit, even though it's it's a great job in its own way. But I would love to write full time. And going hybrid has a lot to do with that in the hopes that they'll sell a lot more books. And even though I'm getting a smaller cut, that it'll get me closer to that. So we'll see. It's an experiment. I got to tell you, I'm excited about it. It took me a long time to think through and think, do I really want to give up control? And it was admittedly hard to go to my dashboard uh, in the background of Amazon and unpublish my book so that I could transfer rights of them to someone else. Uh, <laughs> that was intense. It, maybe it'll only make sense to another author, but that was intense. It felt a little like a sad breakup, <laughs> even though the books are still mine. And uh, for those of you who are in the middle of reading them, you're not orphaned. The books are not available for sale now unless you can find a used copy of a paperback, which could be hard as well. But if you are on book two or three or whatever, and you are planning to read the rest of them and suddenly you can't get them, uh, drop me an email. We will figure something out. I don't want you to be orphaned in the middle of it. So yeah, this publisher has done an amazing job with a friend of mine, CJ Aaron. Um, he's got a series out through them, his first series, and it's just killing it in terms of sales. And he's where I want to be, basically. So I'm hoping they can do something like that for me. So it's a little preliminary, but the word is that at least book one, Beggar's Rebellion, will be back out, available for sale in its new, updated, and beautiful form, 
along with an audiobook. I should say that we're getting professional audiobooks produced as part of this deal. So um, you won't even have to listen to me read them to you. <laughs> if you're listening to this, I guess you don't find my voice awful, but full disclosure, it's hard for me to listen to my own voice. I'm sure uh, if you're not a professional singer or narrator, you have issues with hearing your own voice recorded too. I'm right there with you. So I'm happy that someone else is going to read it. <laughs> yeah, so early March they're coming out. But in the meantime, I'm absolutely still writing the Tidecaller Chronicles. Um, still moving forward on Daughter of Flood and Fury, which is the first one. We've got an official pre-release up. That's for January 18th. That's when the book's going to come out. I am going to do my best and hope that Audible does its best to have the audiobook available at the same time. Because if you're listening to this, you're probably more of a listener than a sit down and read or anyway. <laughs> so I'm hoping to have that for you the same day, but we'll see what happens because Audible has been slow. But yeah, I'm 15% of the way through the final draft on that. I got an amazing round of edits back from a professional editor that I hired and it's daunting in some ways, but it's going to make the book a ton better. So that's what I've been working on the last two days. Um, I'm in the middle of powering it out today. Honestly, I've just been taking notes and thinking all day <laughs> about how I'm possibly going to do all the things that he said that I think are right, but how how it can make it work. So I don't really like revision, but this one is enough of a challenge that I'm having fun with it. And I'm 22% of the way through book two. That's 13,000 words. That is definitely the fastest that I've ever written a book. I usually go slow in the beginning and I've just been crushing word counts on this one. I don't know what's going on um, other than me being determined to write faster and still write well. And I'm having a ton of fun with it. I think it's going to be really good. I think I'm going to send it back to the same editor because he also will do amazing things with it. So that one is coming really close. And then everything else is kind of on pause because I can't do the final publishing for Daughter of Flood and Fury until I have this draft done, uh, including the audiobook. So that's where we're at. Book one's really close. Book two's getting there. Uh, book three is a vague fancy in my mind, but by May, we're going to have that baby out to you too. So... <laughs> So I promised news on the covers. Last week we were talking about those two covers that I got and I put out the poll and it was really amazing to see your responses because it was almost an even split, <laughs> which I thought that one would be more popular than the other. I think I admitted to you that I had a personal favorite and praise the gods, <laughs> my favorite won out by 4%. It was 48% to 52. Last I checked, we had over 100 responses, which is awesome. By a narrow margin, so, you know, not making any references to the U.S. presidential election or even what's going on now with it. <laughs> um, but it was, uh, it was almost like we'd roll the dice 118 times or whatever it is. Um, but the second cover, the, the tan one with the girl walking and looking suddenly at the camera with the towers in the background is the one that won out. So that is going to be the cover of Daughter in Flood and Fury. And I'm pumped because I love that cover. That was my favorite. But you guys like the other one so much that I'm going to buy that one too. <laughs> Turns out I can do that from the designer. It's not like they're going to use it for anything else. So that one is going to be a cover of book two or three or somewhere later in the series. So those of you who voted for that one, don't feel like you lost. You're still getting that cover too, because that's an awesome one as well. And by the way, if you're hearing little like steam engine noises in the background, that's because I'm in my studio, uh, which is heated by wood because it used to be a garage. <laughs> um, and so it's a, it's a fireplace and I've gotten really into drinking coffee after literally 20 years of resisting drinking coffee because I saw what it does to my sister in particular, who's can, was at one time, I should be careful what I say here. She might be listening, not in the best of moods before she had her coffee in the morning. And I didn't want that to be me, but 
it's so delicious. So I've started drinking it as I'm writing and the preferred method out here because, uh, I don't have a stove or anything is I just put a metal cup on the fireplace and the water boils and then I take it off and pour it over a filter. Um, and it's brought me so much pleasure, but, uh, right now there's a cup that has been boiling for a while with a lid on it and I've been ignoring it because I wanted to record this podcast. And so it, every now and then it just drops a little bit of steam and it probably sounds like in the background. And that was my phone going off. (laughs) Welcome to Chateau Levi (laughs) professional podcast. So in my reading life, I am deep in a Sanderson binge. I think I told you last time that I was reading Don Shard, his giant novella that came out before Rhythm of War. And that wrapped up super well. I didn't feel like it had quite the epic ending that you expect from Sanderson, but it was also, you know, like a sixth of the length of most of his novels. And I've jumped right into Rhythm of War, and I think I'm like a third of the way through that. And that one's keeping me up at night for sure. It's just, I got a love for this guy. I'm not going to say that he's my favorite author or the best fantasy author or anything like that, but he is damn good in a really unique way. Um, So I'm loving reading Rhythm of War, thinking about it as an author, as I'm enjoying it as a reader. And it's it's an interesting book. So if you have any thoughts on that one, I'd love to talk through them. And by the way, Brandon Sanderson is another hybrid author. (laughs) Of course, he's one of the biggest names in traditional publishing, but he also just put out a 10th edition uh, leather-bound version of Way of Kings, the first in the Stormlight Archive, and that was technically indie published or published by his own house, so something like indie publishing, and he tends to put out his novellas himself first. I bought some at a conference once that were totally indie before he sells them to Trad. (laughs) He's a smart guy. He's got a YouTube channel, you know, that he's doing... I think because that's what smart indie authors do is we put ourselves out there. So anyway, I am now a hybrid author. Pretty excited about it. Or maybe I officially am in March when the books come out, um, counting my chickens before they hatch. But I'm excited about it. My books will be available to you. And like I said, if you've been orphaned somewhere in this process, let me know. That's never my intention. I want you to keep reading. I don't actually really care if you give me money or not. I just love it that you love the books too. So... I'm going to get back to Tide Collar Chronicles number two, which, by the way, I'm calling Witch of Wealth and Deceit, getting a lot of the way through it. So I'll have more news for that on you next time. But till then, read on. For more information on Levi Jacobs and his books, including the award-winning Beggar's Rebellion, visit www.levijacobs.com. Or for a free Resonant Saga audiobook, only available to podcast listeners, send him an email at beggars.and.brawlers at levijacobs.com. Thanks for listening, and read on.